listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for January 2016. Today's episode is titled Tower of Babel Thinking. The Tower of Babel was a real estate development project with the purpose of making a name for its sponsors. They sought self-glorification by building a monument to themselves. The idea of glory means to magnify oneself or make oneself highly visible to others. In Colossians 4.17, the Apostle Paul states that those who belong to Christ are always to speak and act in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is, as his representatives. This suggests that the motive of true Christians should never be self-glorification, but always be to glorify Christ. To build multi-generational successful organizations, management must build a culture of beyond Babel thinking. Such thinking is rooted in the desire to glorify God, that is, to do His will according to His ways. Failure to address Tower of Babel thinking will be toxic to an organization. The only way to enjoy enduring success in God's universe is to obey His laws. Tower of Babel thinking is about self-glorification, which is opposed to the Creator and will lead to judgment. Only beyond Babel thinking can facilitate enduring organizational excellence. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Tower of Babel Thinking. Well, now I want to talk to you about Tower of Babel Thinking, and that is uh, the whole conflict between the unity of man opposing the unity of God. And I I stress unity because the only way you're going to do anything productively in this universe is through unity. And that's why the Tower of Babel is such an interesting Uh, story for us is because we have now the story of of the best man can do uh, under God's rule. Now, just to read, I'm going to read the text, and then I'm going to take you through some comments about the text and uh, take you through some conclusions and some application. So I've got several different things I want to do. But first, let's read the text, and then we'll make some comments. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad, over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad, from there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, just give you a little background of where this is. This is obviously the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. The first two chapters of Genesis deal with the creation account. The third chapter creates, deals with the fall. Then the chapters 4 and 5 deal with, with largely the implications of the fall and the genealogical record leading us up to Noah. At the time of Noah, we had, we had mankind now somewhere around 2,500 years into existence, and the, the depravity of mankind, the wickedness of mankind was great. And so the Lord was going to do a reboot. 
And that's what he did with the flood. We did a reboot, and we wound up now with eight people, Noah, his wife, and his three sons and their wives, starting all over again. You know, as if we need another shot at seeing what's going to happen to mankind when he's left to himself in his fallen state. So all of us are descendants of Noah. We had a common language, or Noah and his sons obviously had a common language. But through this, through this situation now, over time, you know, time passed, another thousand years or so went by, and now we have another major incident in Genesis chapter 11. This is the Tower of Babel incident. It's a very interesting story because it's showing you that mankind was trying to move on the face of the earth, which was what they were mandated to do with the creation mandate in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We were supposed to spread over the face of the earth to multiply, that is to increase the number of people and to manage and master God's universe and use the beautiful technology that God had put in his universe to help us rule God's universe according to his will and according to his ways. So that was basically, you know, what was intended here. So they're, they're moving and they decide to stop moving and they decide to stop moving, not because God told them to stop, but because they had an agenda. So just a few comments about the implications of this text, and then we'll talk about the agenda and what that meant. First of all, this project illustrates that man's fallen state, which is theologians called total depravity, is not total. Well, it's not total in the sense that mankind can be productive in the sense of being able to do things even though they're in rebellion against God. Now, theologically, the state of man is totally depraved in the sense that man has no ability in and of himself to make himself acceptable with God. So that is the sense of total depravity. It refers to man's efforts to be made acceptable with God. Man can never do that. And that's the, one of the big themes of the Old Testament is that man cannot do that. Only through Christ are we made acceptable with God. So depravity needs to be understood correctly. Total depravity does not mean that mankind cannot do things that are productive. They can't. However, people can only be productive to the degree that God gives them the grace to be productive. This is called common grace. Common grace means it's not uncommon. It means it's common. It's fairly universal. So on some basic level, a rudimentary level, mankind has the ability to obey God to an extent and largely obey God by following his ways. Mankind does not tend to want to follow the, the will of God. Generally, if mankind is going to try to follow God at all, he'll adopt some of his ways, and they'll adopt some of his ways largely pragmatically because the only things that really works in God's universe are things that, that are aligned with God. So the ways of God in doing anything in the workplace, doing anything in the family, doing anything in education or public policy that really do work and produce long-term blessing, you know, are got to be aligned with God. So the people had lived long enough and had the ability, God gave them the ability to learn uh, through experience called pragmatic experience, empirical experience 
uh, and, and to draw conclusions that enable them to live reasonably uh, well in God's universe, even though they're rebelling against God. However, we have to keep in mind that common grace, though it is common, it is limited. And every once in a while, we see a glimpse of what happens when God's common grace lifts. And when his common grace lifts, then man loses their ability to align with God, that limited ability they have to, to align with God, and get really disaligned. And I'm going to suggest to you some of the horrific events that we've seen in recent days, these murders and atrocities, are examples of where God's common grace has been lifted. When God's common grace is lifted, the only thing that can result is chaos. Because common grace is the ability to bring order out of chaos. That's kingdom work. That's what you see in the creation account. In creation in Genesis 1 and 2, God was bringing order out of chaos. That's what we're called to do. We're called to bring order out of chaos. We have a limited ability through common grace to do it. And, of course, once we come to Christ, now we have empowered ability to do it. We can do it even better, far better, if we know Christ. But those who don't know Christ have a limited ability. And when that limited ability is lifted, now there's, there's almost no ability to produce anything orderly. It becomes totally chaotic. So these are just some, some clarity that we need to get about what depravity means and how it plays out in our culture. Because every day, you and I are heavily dependent upon common grace. Every time you go to a restaurant, you, you are assuming that the cook is not going to poison you. Every time you walk down the street, you're assuming that God's restraining hand through common grace is going to keep somebody from shooting you. Every time you get in your vehicle or you fly in a plane or in a, in a bus or a train or some kind of vehicle, a ship, you're, you're assuming that the people around you and the people operating that vehicle have a lot of common grace going to keep you safe. And generally, our experience has been that's that's been true. Although increasingly, I think we're seeing examples where that common grace is being lifted and you never know when it's going to be lifted or on whom he will lift it. And so you won't know what's going to happen until it happens. You just know things will become chaotic when that happens. Now, what the, the Tower of Babel participants did to have the limited success they had through common grace was they were seeking to follow the ways of God that were applicable to this particular situation. They were not pursuing the will of God, but they were pursuing the ways of God. And there were three specific ways uh, that I want to note here. And this is not necessarily the three specific ways. There's just three I want to note. First of all, there was a community aspect to this. And you see this with this term, let us. Uh, let us is a, the same phrase that's used in Genesis 1, verse 26, when, ta when God talks about the creation of man. It was let us. It was the Trinity having an internal conversation that is, uh, is given to us as if they were having an internal conversation. It's hard for us to understand how the Trinity fully operates. So many times uh, the language that's used to express what the Trinity is doing is called anthropomorphic language. In other words, it's God is speaking as if he were a man, but he's not a man. Okay, so... When, it's, when the text says, let us, it's communicating to us that there was internal agreement in the Godhead to create man and to give man his mandate to rule God's creation according to God's will and God's ways. So it's not literally that they had a conference. It, that, that would be missing the point. 
the Godhead came to agreement. So that was let us is what was expressed there. So we have, again, the people here using the idea of let us. They're coming to agreement, a collective agreement about what they want to do. So community is one of the key ways that we imitate God as we live and dwell in community. Uh, you've heard me talk about this a good bit in recent years. I, the more I study this, the more I see this, the more I'm convinced we know currently today in the Christian community that I am in and around and see know very little about how to really live in community. And it's an ongoing process for me to try to, to gain understanding of what this looks like and how to walk it out. Well, the Tower of Babel participants had a level of understanding of it, and they were able to use it. Secondly, they imitated God in their organizational principles of leadership and management. They recognized authority, submission to authority, being strategic in their thinking. Uh, they obviously had accountability, and they had a unifying you know, common vision and communication skill. So these are the things that enabled them to really be able to do anything to do what they did. They, they apparently started this project project and had a, a level of success for some time. And we don't know how long it went on. We don't know how far along they got. We don't know how tall the tower got. We don't know how big the city got. You see, they were building a city and a tower. And so we don't know those details, but we know to do what they did took a lot of imitation of God's principles of leadership and management. And thirdly, they imitated God in the sense of his means and methods for, for construction. They obviously gleaned a lot of these things through their own experience and probably learned them through their heirs, like Noah built a boat, took him 100 years to build it. That They learned a lot from that, including probably how to waterproof. They also, at some point, learned the importance of location. They understood something about gravity, that if you're going to build a tower, you need to go straight up so that the center line axis of the tower is aligned with the gravitational force field. So that takes a flat plane and totally vertical um, construction. I'm sure they understood something about how to use a plumb bob and how that guided them in building this thing. So they were using God's means and methods for building this project. They use the right material. They use bricks, which are regular shape, not stone, which is irregular shape. And they use tar for mortar because that would be waterproofed. So they were very wise in what they did. They were following God's ways, God's principles, and they were doing it under common grace and had a level of success. Now, what they didn't do is they did not imitate God's will. They imitated his ways, but not his will. And so what they did is they tried to build a monument that would be bring glory to them. Now, to glorify something means to manifest something about a person or a being. To bring glory to God means to manifest God. To bring glory to man means to manifest man. So they were trying to make a name for themselves. It's interesting that word name is the word Shem. And they were, they, uh, they were probably not followers, de descendants of Shem. They were probably descendants of Ham. We don't know that for sure. But very likely, uh, they were descendants of, of uh, Ham. And Ham was the one that was cursed. Of Noah's three sons, uh, Japheth and Shem were blessed, and Ham was cursed. And that whole incident is discussed in uh, chapter 8. I encourage you to 
uh, I read a chapter nine. I encourage you to take a look at that and see what happened there. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but I just want to make the point here that they were after self-glorification, and that is not aligned with God. Now, there's a lot of ways that we can self-glorify today. Let me give you some examples of how we do this today, because this is very, very important, because what we see here in the Tower of Babel is an example of how we all tend to live. We tend to imitate what they do. We tend to do the same things they do because we ultimately have all come from Noah. Every one of us, they came from Noah. We have come from Noah. What was in Noah was in them. What was in Noah is in us. We're all from the same stock. So the Tower of Babel, I think, is a picture of the default state of unrepentant man, of unredeemed man, and that is to try to self-glorify. Well, how do we do that today? How do we try to build monuments to ourselves today? Well, you know, individually, you know, we're all about, you know, living out the, what we call the American dream or becoming wealthy and, and um, you know, having a nice home or homes and fine jewelry and art and building up for retirement so we can go do our will according to our ways, you know, in our timing. And if we're, if we're feel benevolent, we're philanthropic. So that's individual success. In fact, you just watch the financial services companies. They are touting that all about you going to be able to get having enough wealth so you can go live the way you want to live. That is, that's a monument to man. That is not lined up with God. Family success today, uh, some people would call family success monogamous marriage. Increasingly, that's not the case. But in times past, that's been the case. Uh, most people think obedient children is a sign of success and maybe even respect in the community. And any of these things can become a, an idol, a monument, something that you, you find bringing self-glory to yourself. Church success, it's all about the size of the staff, the size of the building, the congregation, the budget, the programs. It's all about these metrics growing. And if you don't have those things growing, you're not a success in the church world. There's not any sense of discipleship generally. Discipleship gets lip service. It's not reality. And I think most of us on this call have experienced that. Uh, business success is all about wealth, influence, and power. And government success is all about power, influence, and wealth. So these are the things, these are the towers of Babel that we're building today. And I think it's fair to assume that if you are not consciously seeking to bring glory to God by seeking out his will for your life and helping other people around you seek out God's will for their life, and doing their will according, doing God's will according to God's ways. If that's not happening, you're building the Tower of Babel. The only way you can build something that glorifies God is you have to align with his purposes, his will done in your life according to his ways. So what happens when you build this way is you get judgment. And judgment can happen on us in a lot of ways. There can be a natural event, or there can be some kind of, of spiritual event, an event that's not necessarily explained. For example, you can have a donkey carrying you and you can all of a sudden have an angel in the road with a sword, which is exactly what happened to Balaam. That was a bit of a supernatural event. That's not a normal common day occurrence. Other times you can have very natural events. You can have earthquakes, you can have storms, you can have uh, you know events like we've seen recently where you know shooters went into places shooting people. All kinds of natural calamity can happen. So judgment can come in a lot of different ways. 
In this particular case, we don't exactly how God did it, his means, but we know what he did. What he did was he picked the communication because the most critical thing in any organization or any project, any family, any community is communication. If you can't communicate, you cannot come together and do anything. You have to be able to communicate. So all he did was confuse the communication. From that came all the different languages of the world. And if you've traveled the world, you know that becomes the bane of trying to serve people in other parts of the world is the language. It's a huge problem. And that's a result of the Tower of Babel. That's a result of mankind trying to self-glorify. So I want to encourage you to keep that in mind as you... Uh, as you travel and you work with people around the world, wherever God sends you, every time you run into a language problem, you should be reminded of the Tower of Babel and self-glorification, and that's what we all tend to do. Don't think, well, that was them. No, it's us. What's in them is in us. We will tend, barring the grace of God in our life, we will tend to do what they did. Well, let me just draw some application here for you real quickly. Uh, number one, using God's ways to execute your will will not produce and cannot produce enduring success. That will not work. You may have a short-term success, but you will not have enduring success. There will be a time when it no longer works. Number two, no plan will succeed against the Lord. You cannot go out there and start using God's ways against him. That will not work. Uh, some way or another, you know, it will be revealed, it will be exposed, and it will be stopped. Number three, communication is essential for enduring success. It's absolutely critical that we learn how to communicate well, that we hear well, that we can articulate well, and that we respond to truth. So communication is all about understanding truth, communicating truth, aligning with truth. So the Achilles heel of the unity of man and mankind's ability to accomplish anything is communication. In the military, they call this command and control. And one of the great military strategies is disrupt the command and control, and you'll disrupt the, the ability of that army to function. So it is with any organization. So it is with any, any uh, group of people, a family, any project. You disrupt the command and control. You disrupt the project. Number four, poor communication produces disunity, which disrupts effectiveness. One of the consequences of poor communication will be to, to, to lack of unity. It will disrupt unity. It will destroy unity. And as a result, you'll have dispersion. People will leave and drift away and, because they cannot come together and agree on what to do and how to do it and when to do it and where to do it. So you have to have unity. Poor communication disrupts unity. Number five, common grace is limited in its extent and it's limited in time. Common grace only goes so far. You can't just do anything. You can only do certain things that God illuminates to you and gives you the grace to do no matter who you are, when you live, what you're doing. Common grace is inherently limited. And there is a time when God many times will lift his common grace and when he lifts it, you will be stymied. You will be blocked. You will be stopped. You will not be able to go forward. Common grace is absolutely critical for everyone. Those who know Christ have an additional grace called special grace through Christ. And now you have special empowerment to work at a, at a higher level than those who are limited to common grace.
Number six, everyone either builds a Tower of Babel or beyond Babel. Building a Tower of Babel now is building a self-glorifying monument to yourself. Building beyond Babel is about building sons, spiritual sons, and that can include natural sons, and I'm talking, you know, generically, a male and female. It's reproducing yourself in others. This is what you must do in your families, in your organizations, your churches, your businesses, in your communities. We're always trying to unleash and discover the purpose of God in people and help them find and fulfill that purpose. This is the heart of the SLA message. Help you get on track for God. I had a question come in from Asia here last night. And the question is, what does finding your calling have to do with the gospel? And my response to that is, if you ask that question, you don't understand the gospel. The gospel is not about you getting a ticket to heaven. It's not about, you know, saving you from eternal judgment, although that will, will happen. The heart of the gospel is that God has saved you to play a role in his meta-narrative, to accomplish certain things he wants done. So you have to find your calling. That's a natural thing. Any person who truly comes to Christ will want to do is discover the purpose for which they have been created, the purpose for which they have been saved while they're here, and to go do it. And this is what Ephesians 2, verse 10 tells us. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 9, lay out the gospel message so clearly. We're saved by grace through faith, and no other way can you be saved. And then verse 10 tells you why you're saved. You're saved to play your role in the meta narrative, and God has created you for a specific work assignment. And so it's your responsibility to discover that work assignment. So that's the challenge. We've got to get, get on track and learn how to build beyond Babel, which is all about bringing, making disciples. If we don't build beyond Babel, we will default to building a Tower of Babel, and that means we'll build a monument to ourselves in some way. And number seven, only beyond Babel thinking produces alignment with God's will and God's ways. Tower of Babel thinking produces self-glory, produces monuments to ourselves. Beyond Babel thinking produces alignment. It facilitates alignment with the will and ways of God. So this is the critical way we've got to learn to think. We have to see in this message here, I think, a clear picture of the danger, the warning of simply trying to do the best that man can do. No, mankind desperately needs Christ, not only to bring, make him acceptable with God and to deal with the punishment of sin and death, but mankind needs desperately Christ to empower him to find the purpose for which mankind has been created, each man has been created, and then fulfill that purpose while they're here on earth. We're here not for our own pleasure. We're here for God's pleasure. We exist for his pleasure. Every moment that we have breath, we have breath because he's given us that moment. So our job every moment of every day is to discern his will and to do his will according to his ways. That's living beyond Babel. And may the Lord give us grace to learn to live that way and to recognize when we drift into Tower of Babel thinking and are trying to live for self-glory. And may we repent quickly and turn immediately to Christ and Plead for mercy and grace now to walk out the reality of our calling in Christ in the fullness of the purpose of God while we're here on earth and then on to eternity. So Lord, may give us that grace to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>